What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I'm Turner, and I'm in the studio with Rosie Rosenold. Hey, I'm here. How you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> and we have the wonderful Jessica. Jessica, how are you? Hey, good. Hey, friends. Hey. Yes. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, I was a friend. I am a you, friend. You are a friend. You're thank always. You. Oh, thank you. Then yes. And hi. All who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what do you know, Rosie? Oh, <laughs> hey. Did you know that in during World War II? The Smithsonian invented new fish names that were easy to pronounce <laughs> so that the Navy can name submarines after them. <laughs> what does this say about our Navy? <laughs> yeah. uh, I found this quote. Listen to this. It says, uh, blah, blah, blah. This Captain Calkins described the many difficulties involved in choosing a name for any vessel. The names could not be similar to another ship currently in the fleet and it had to be appropriate, i.e. something... Not something that would be easily be made fun of. In addition, quote, spelling and pronunciation both had to be reasonably simple. The average enlisted man and his girlfriend oh, must be able to say the girlfriend. name comfortably. <laughs> his girlfriend. It, if his best girl couldn't spell it, he may not get her letters. Oh, no. <laughs> so it letters. said, yeah, this this proved a problem with fish names since <laughs> Ike theologists like to use Latin names. The most common and recognizable names were used up fast, leaving him to come up with some creative workarounds, such as names in different languages for the same fish type. The fleet was growing so fast that sometimes a popular fish name was created and then assigned to an already existing scientific name to, in order to have something more pronounced pronounceable pronounceable hmm. yeah pronounceable <laughs> you see what i did there yeah pronounceable pronounce you can't pronounce I, I, the word pronounceable thank you yeah i, I, I we like to have it fun was on here. purpose yes thank you <laughs> the uss dogfish with catfish there's that so many catfish dog <laughs> catfish hey get on the catfish can you spell that honey yeah <laughs> k-a-t <laughs> hootie and the blowfish <laughs> that was a great band yeah. Speaking of great, we <laughs> nice, have an inc nice segue. incredibly great episode. Yes, we do. We have a returning guest to the episode this week, and it is going to be amazing, as always. Yeah. So, as I like to say, sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, we've got a great guest tonight. I am so excited to bring back again for the third time, Joseph Jordan. He is the president and founder of CE4. Rosie, you just said we can find him on episodes... 109 69 <laughs> i just had it 69 and 128 okay so episode episode 69 and 128 you can go back and listen to those again if you haven't yet because i think they're going to all kind of build upon one another and joseph this timing of having you on i we were just talking about this before we hit record is perfect if <laughs> uh for the listener if you're listening at a later date this week, just out of Mexico, uh, the Mexican government had these hearings for their Congress, and they revealed, t uh, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, two aliens <laughs> 
that looked more like paper mache. And I, the joke in my house is like, is it cake or is it fake? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've seen those with the make a cake look like a real thing. Um, but uh, Joseph, let's let's unpack this whole idea a little bit. And um, and I want I want to just give you an opportunity to please just share um, what your thoughts are on some of these things because I do value your opinion so much, man. Okay, first of all, thanks for having me on. And as far as these things that they're showing the government in Mexico, um, these things have already been disproven to be anything of extraterrestrial origin quite some time ago by people here in this country. Uh, Jaime Massan is the one that's pushing that in Mexico. Jaime Massan used to be uh, Mexico's like 60 Minutes guy for many, many years on their television. He's always looking into the strange and, you know, unusual things uh, to make his show. So he's been pretty much a showman for the whole time that he's been present to the Mexican people. And I'm surprised that he's still using these objects uh, to try and perpetrate the idea that he's come across actual extraterrestrials. Uh, They were pretty much proven to be mummified remains um, that were dug up, and it's not something unusual to find these. It's just that, you know, people that don't do the work of proper research and people that pretty much rely on what other people tell them you know, like YouTubers and things like that, then uh, they pretty much fall for anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're up against right now. There's, you know, the, the people in Mexico and, and South America, um, there's a lot of uh, crazy spiritual, so-called spiritual things that mm-hmm. are going on down there. And these people get caught up in all sorts of strange beliefs, you know, a lot because of the... the the, the lack of education and lack of the country being in, you know, Western eyes, more civilized like we are, even though we have people in this country that fall for the same type of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're still trying to push the physicality of this extraterrestrial being that supposedly is visiting us from some other place in the universe. Uh-huh. And they're, they're trying to hang on to that. And, you know, I'll tell you, in the 30 years that I've been in this, When I first came into the UFO phenomenon back in 92, first thing I did was read up on the history up to that point. I didn't want to just start into it like a lot of people do and not look at the history and not look at the work and research that had been done by very, very educated people um, prior to the time they come into the phenomenon. I mean, I see people coming into the phenomenon right now with interest, and they're asking the same questions that we asked 30 years ago mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they haven't done due diligence to look at what's already been done. So I did that when I, I came into this. I wanted to know what had already been done so that at the point that I come into the phenomenon and want to become a researcher, I'm caught up to that point not trying to rehash everything all over again because they didn't do the work of looking back at the past. And I think we're, because we're still dealing with that, it's easy to share the same delusions and the same lies to a new public 
you know, every few years. Mm. But when I started into this and looked at that history, I saw that in the beginning of this UFO phenomenon in the UFO community, as, as a community, followers, not just researchers, uh, in the mid-50s, we had gatherings of people coming together and sharing stories and research. Uh, there were many of them out at the desert, you know, out west. Mm-hmm. And people were talking about having contact with beings from within our solar system, from planets within our solar system. That was the story of the time. People that were telling contact stories with beings from our solar system. But as that time moved into the 60s, mid-60s and late 60s, where NASA started sending probes out to investigate and look at these other planets in our solar system, realizing that none of them were habitable by beings like ourselves, Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, these entities are no longer from our solar system, but from far distant galaxies and star systems, areas that we can't reach and we can't validate. And at the same time, the beings that were supposedly from planets in our solar system that looked almost identical to us in their contacts with humans now had changed their appearance completely. Mm-hmm. Still humanoid in nature, but what we would term the greys or even the higher echelon of what they call it, the Nordics, you know. Mm -hmm. But they had actually changed in appearance and location. And then about 2008, things started to change again. I had the opportunity after uh, having a participation in and friends with the director, Guy Malone, in Roswell for the 60th anniversary, you, you know, Roswell UFO Festival Conference. The next year, the city was kind of burned out after that major event. It was huge, the 60th anniversary. Guy did a great job working with the city on that. But they were exhausted after that event. <clears throat> and then here, myself, I'm going and asking them, I'm going, well, what's for next year? (laughs) They they didn't want to hear it. Um, I don't think they had any intent of doing it again the next year. So I volunteered to take on the conference for the city with their support. So in 2008, I ended up being the director for the Roswell UFO Festival Conference, and it was called the CE4 Conference. Uh, with the support of the city of Roswell. And it was in that conference that I saw things changing a third time. And I didn't expect it. I mean, my research was showing this change already. But it was in this conference that I started to hear many number of secular researchers start sharing the same type of idea. And that idea, that terminology that I was starting to hear in that conference for the first time was, could this be something else Hmm. than what we think it is? Hmm. Could this possibly be interdimensional? They were just starting to look at it. They were just starting to question it. And now you move fast forward to today, and everything they're talking about 
is either interdimensional, extra-dimensional, or ultra-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So we see these beings have changed to fit our culture change. <laughs> and that's important red flag to, for listeners to consider. Yeah. Why the change? To keep that in mind, before I left in, uh, you know, before I left the space center that where I worked in 2000, um, 2011, as the last shuttles were flying out to the museums, and I knew uh, I better start looking for some other employment because it's going to be a while for the space center picked up again as they were moving into private industry. It was going to take a while to get established. So I was able to pick up a, a job in the same company that I was employed with at the Space Center, but a lateral move overseas to South Korea as a, as a safety specialist working for support, a contractor supporting the U.S. military there. Well, I grew up as a military brat, Army brat, they call it. My dad was a 21-year serviceman. And in most of my life up until I was a senior in high school, I lived overseas. Uh, I'd already been to 13, 14 countries by that time, if not more. So I, my life was you know, easy to think about going back overseas, but it had been a long time. And here I was in this UFO realm established already and listening to these secular researchers telling me, and of course I was believing them, that this UFO phenomenon is a worldwide event, a worldwide phenomenon. But by the time I got to Korea, it wouldn't take me long to realize that that's not true. It's about as true as me telling you that I'm college educated. (laughs) Now, without questioning it, you're thinking, oh, the guy's degreed. Yeah, I got an AA degree, <laughs> not a BA. But I don't have to tell you that. All I have to do is tell you I'm college educated. Uh-huh. And that's what they're doing when they tell you this is a worldwide phenomenon. Huh. Of course, they can tell you about cases here, cases there. But it's nothing like we're experiencing here in America, hmm. in Europe, in Canada, even parts of Mexico, Australia, and Japan. What's the commonality? (laughs) The commonality is these are modernized, westernized nations Mm -hmm. where the only thing that's the common between them is high technology. Mm. That's a common factor. Because when I got to Korea and... Figuring that this was a worldwide phenomenon, I would be busy in Korea working with Koreans on this UFO research and UFO investigations. I became the the Mutual UFO Network National Director for South Korea while I was there. I figured I'd go ahead and establish myself. They didn't have anybody, you know, that was working with MUFON, so I went ahead and took on the the position so that I could report anything coming in from the ground on South Korea. But I soon realized that nothing was happening. 
at most they had maybe 20 sightings over 20 years. Hmm. That's not a phenomenon. Right. Yeah. You know, in the essence that we talk about it here in America, you know, as still as a MUFON state section director, which I am now again back here in Brevard County, Florida, where the Space Center is located, and as a 30-year MUFON member, I can tell you that This is, you know, the sighting reports that come in, the monthly report that I get every month, the America's up around, you know, anywhere from 550 to 700 sightings a month hmm. compared to the rest of the world, which may be one in most of the countries, if any at all. Hmm. You know, so it validates my my observation that this is primarily a modernized, westernized nation phenomenon. And I asked why was it this not being happening in Korea? I, I needed to understand that. And it was very interesting answers that I got when I talked to Korean people, which most speak English. And I said, you know, what do you think about the UFO phenomenon? And my quick answer was, I don't have time for that. And I thought, well, that's kind of rude. You know, I thought that was, I thought they were being rude to me, you know. But I had a close associate I worked with, another safety professional working on the, working for the battalion that we were supporting. And he was Korean national, spoke excellent English. So I used to talk to him about this. And I said, well, what do they mean when they're telling me they don't have time for this? He says, we don't. I said, well, Tell me what that what you mean by we don't. He says it's not that we don't understand or know what the phenomenon is about. He said if you go to the libraries here, you know, you'll see that there are many numerous books written by Korean authors and researchers talking about the phenomenon of UFOs in America hmm. and other major other you know modern countries. So they're very familiar and knowledge of the UFO phenomenon. But they have no interest in it. And I, that's what concerned me is why no interest in it. And that's when it came back to we don't have time for that. Hmm. You, understanding what's happening in Korea, we understand a little bit about what's happening. Looking at the products we own nowadays, you know, hmm. you either own a, uh, an iPhone or you own a Samsung, you know. Or, or an LG phone. Those are Korean. Mm -hmm. uh, many, of the, many of the vehicles we own nowadays, foreign vehicles, uh, used to be primarily Japanese, but now we have Hyundai, Kia, mm -hmm. you know, Genesis. You know, there's a lot of Korean cars that w us as Americans are purchasing. Their technology over there is absolutely phenomenal. You know, I was literally blown away by the things that I saw as progress over there in that country. You know, they are they are quickly becoming way more advanced than we are. And, you know, they're on the heels of the Chinese as far as technology goes right now. They want to be dominant in this on Earth as technology, and they're, they're really pushing forward on it. So looking at their culture and what it takes to get to that point, is what the answer was to uh, the question when they would say, we don't have time for that. Remember, they're 70 years out of total devastating war. Mm -hmm. Their country was, you know, just demolished to nothing like we're seeing in, uh, you know, now in, a, in the Ukraine. Mm 
you know. So they had to rebuild from that time. There are still people living over there, farmers, still farming, that were alive during the war. Mm -hmm. That generation is still living. They're very old and doing very well, but they're still living. And they still remember life at the time of the war and before the war. Then you have the next generation, their children, who grew up with the progress, the rebuilding of the country and the infrastructure of industry and what it took to make that work and bring that country back up from the ruins. And it took working all the time. It took the focus on working. And once they got involved in building these factories and building the infrastructure for manufacturing and the work that went involved with it, they started to have children. And this is this third generation that we have live now. So there's three generations, if not four, that are living together in this small country of South Korea. And the younger generation are going to school and the best colleges because their parents wanted the best for their children. And they would work endless hours to be able to get the money to pay for these kids to be the best. Korean kids, I used to see them coming home from school sometimes 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. That's all day, not just in their public school, but then it would be tutoring and tutoring and tutoring and tutoring after that, whether it be sports, whether it be um, learning the American language, whether it be mathematics tutoring and that, whether it be an instrument that they were playing, which most of them do. It's not like children in America where we, you know, they seem to want to do as little of school as possible. And same with the workers in America. We want more time off. Okay, We don't want to work the overtime. It's like what I saw was the difference between a country that's striving to get to success compared to our country who reached success and was now – leaning back going, I need to relax. Mm -hmm. And then I came across a middle ground because my job took me on about 20 trips to the Tokyo area at a sister base that we supported. And I got to do those visits to Japan and make friends in Japan, the workers there, and talk to them about the same subject. And I saw things completely different than I did in Korea. Remember, Japan has reached its heyday way before the Koreans because right. they started after the you know World War II. They had an earlier start. And what I saw was the Korean, the Japanese people were actually more interested in this phenomenon. And I thought, well, why is it they are and the other ones aren't? And then I realized that the Japanese people, being have reached their heyday and went through all this difficult work and long hours and, you know, struggle to get there, they were starting to lean lean back and say, I need to take a little break. I need to use, I need some free time. And in that free time, what do the people do? They dabble on the internet. They look at crazy ideas. (laughs) 
you know, kind of like <laughs> Americans have been doing for quite some time. Right. <laughs> so when it come down to it, I, I put a hypothesis together that kind of showed itself. And what I found was this UFO phenomenon seemed to be based on time on your hands. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, could it be that simple? Could it really be that simple? <laughs> we have nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. And then you look at other countries that weren't affected by the, that aren't affected by this at all. But if you look a little deeper, they are affected by something. Hmm. Uh, whether it be their spiritual beliefs or their their uh, superstitions that they follow, or mm-hmm. you know the other things of paranormal nature that is just part of their culture mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's keeping them you know in that same venue but it's not high technology beings that they're encountering it's different kinds of beings so but the effect is the same so i got a quick mm-hmm. question for you i don't know if you remember but back in august it was probably early august um it, coming news coming out of peru about this village that supposedly was attacked by these big, you know, seven foot tall aliens that were ripping faces off. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's really not appropriate to laugh, probably. Well, it didn't happen, so. <laughs> well, I'm curious what, because the news reports were that they were miners, coal miners, that were mm-hmm. gold miners that were scaring, trying to scare away the, but, but the, you had this grainy video footage, and then, then, you know, um, there were reports that they were, impervious to weaponry and they were floating and flying with like uh but they were like men it, the, the best description would be like the green goblin from star wars mm-hmm. the movie or i mean uh spider-man the movies so d- what what's your thoughts on something like that well as a honest objective researcher my answer would bet would be to that is we don't have enough information to make an honest decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can speculate all day, and speculations are dime a dozen. But yeah. So I don't, I don't speculate. I try to base everything on what do we have, and that's the one thing that in that incident, incident, we don't have. Yeah. And that's what drives everybody to think, oh, it could be this, it could be that. Well, could these are worthless. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You just have to chalk it up as we don't have enough information. So I have a theory on some of this, and Rosie, you and you and Jessica know because we talked about it before. But my theory is that we do have human technology that has been developed through R&D and through big budgets for military, and that I think some of these craft that are being seen that are – doing things that are incredible. Um, I, I think that some of them are probably military in nature um, and that maybe we're having encounters with things that are advanced weaponry. What do you think about that? That's a great possibility. And even MUFON takes that stance that that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind that 98% of all UFO reports end up being in the classification of 
misidentified man-made or natural objects, hmm. natural phenomena. Hmm. So there's a, we know that that possibility is out there, that a lot of this is misidentified military aircraft. It's just that when you get to this new classification of UAP, mm-hmm. that puts these sightings in an area that doesn't fit the possibility of military aircraft hmm. because of the what the scientists are saying aspect that they defy natural physics as we know it. Hmm. But if... Because I know that science is now in, in the quantum realms of, you know, technology and science. They're really, really aggressively pursuing um, understanding the, like, quantum physics and string theory and mm-hmm. these type of things. That it's, is it possible that they're just not man-made? I mean, I know that they're man-made, but they're not manned in the sense that someone's inside it. So if it were to take this radical, you know, def- physics-defying turn or movement that whatever's inside is not going to get scrambled, you know, um, because of that. I don't believe we're there yet. I don't, I, everything in the quantum physics realm is theory at this point. Yeah. Now that you brought that area up, it was a fascinating quote I heard from Dr. Jack Sarfati, who's in this realm of study. And he made a great description of what he feels these UAPs are. He says it's like they have a skin, which is what we see and record, but the actual interior is consciousness. What? <laughs> wow. Just think about that for a second. Consciousness. Kind of they are so close, they are so close to describing what Christians call yep. a spiritual manifestation. Hmm. <laughs> okay, okay. And that, that kind of ties back into, uh, I re-listened to the previous episodes, The when you had brought up the same question, Turner, in the last episode, and you made a really good point Um Joseph about that the things <laughs> that, that they're what people are seeing in the sky if they are a spiritual being is a natural byproduct of or characteristic of that being itself so uh, you know mm. if, if, if a human is tall they have mass they jump up in the air they drop down you know that kind of thing if they're fast, they can run fast. You know, just right. the essence of being a, a creature taking up space. And that the technology that we're trying to do is just trying to come up with some sort of uh, an attempt at uh, duplicating something mm-hmm. that is naturally occurring with a spiritual being, but we're trying to do it through technology, right? So it's an essence of, the spiritual being, like you're saying, uh, I, I think it's, um, I was thinking of, you know, this disappearing in and out of mm-hmm. space. Um, it, it, correct me who, who I'm, if I'm wrong. Was it Peter that uh, in the Bible was running after the Ethiopian eunuch? 
Oh, no, that was Philip. Philip. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he teleports out. Yeah. So there's like yeah. this case of, uh, you know, that's something that UFO or spiritual being could happen. And we read that and we understand, oh, that's God doing something that angels also did where they just appear. Mm-hmm. And God's doing the spiritual nature uh, of these things. And like you said, they're, they're naturally occurring. We're trying to duplicate it poorly. Uh, I guess because we can't really, as far as we know, uh, yeah. do what they do. Secular, the secular scientists cannot accept the the term spiritual, right? right. Mm-hmm. Spirit, spiritual realm. So they have to use the language that they have available to them, which is mm-hmm. why they're using interdimensional, ultra dimensional, or extra dimensional. Okay, they're trying to understand what they're seeing, and the only tools they have available is mathematic and science and the terminology of technology mm-hmm. they can't accept that it's something other than technology mm-hmm. but let me give you a couple quotes here to show you that there are people that are secular that are starting to see some of this and there are people in in some very high positions that are trying to understand this one of those was dr gary nolan out of stanford He noted how different witnesses of UFO sightings often see different things. This is his quote. Almost as if whatever it is is projecting something into the mind, rather it being a real manifestation. He used the term manifestation, (laughs) material, in front of you. In a recent podcast, he says, the interviewer was asking him, you have told me that you believe on evidence that there are, that there is a non-human technologies on this planet. His answer to that was advanced capabilities. Hmm. I don't know Hmm. if it's a technology per se. I'm leaving it open to the idea that it's some form of consciousness that Hmm. is non-material. Interesting. So he's he's trying to find the, the right terminologies, but he's just not versed in the reality of the spiritual realm. Yeah. Look at retired CIA officer, Jim Semivan, who he and his wife are, or have had encounters with beings in their bedroom. Mm. Semivan agreed with the statements made by Skinwalker Ranch researcher, Colm Keller, that the UFO phenomenon is a lot more than nuts and bolts and machines. Mm -hmm. There are also psychic and biological elements that make things even weirder. I think they mentioned that the phenomenon is a natural part of our universe, and we're living in it, but we don't recognize it. The same way that insects and animals don't recognize the human universe. A cat and a dog could be running through a library, but they don't have the faintest idea what the books are all about and what libraries are all about. <laughs> we might be walking through our existence, and there's a whole other reality that surrounds us that we just simply don't have the ability to see or interact with. Wow. They're so close. They're, they're literally describing it, but, <laughs> but missing the nail on the head. It's just so close. Mm-hmm. The nail. Exactly. Yeah. The nail. It kind of reminds right. me of um, when I was back, when I was researching like uh, the different scientists that um, deal with CERN. Um, that didn't believe on Jesus and they have like similar quotes like that, like what they're trying to explain. And I'm like, you all are messing with the <laughs> spiritual realm. You don't even know it, but you like, you're so close. 
So what what's the what's the push for biological beings so hard for? I mean, we just had our own, you know, Senate on Capitol Hill and one of the questions directly asked was are these off-planet creatures and they're like, "Yes, they are biological but not of Earth's nature." And I mean, I, I'm, I'm misquoting, but that was essentially what he said. And then, and then you have this whole situation in Mexico that just happened last week, with these they're presenting these mummified aliens, quote unquote. And um, why are they pushing so hard for that? You're talking about the secular people, right? Of course, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just think about this for a minute. I think they know more than they're letting on for one yeah definitely Mm -hmm. to let that out of the bag what they really know compared to saying that we believe we're still dealing with extraterrestrial biological entities at least there's a possibility that we can defend ourselves Mm. if it's not a good thing Mm -hmm. but to acknowledge that we're dealing with something that we have no way of understanding, more or less protecting ourselves. To let that out of the bag? Because keep in mind, this whole agenda that they're pushing right now in Congress is the idea that these things are, that could be detrimental to our airspace and our safety in our airspace Mm -hmm. for public as well as military. And they're trying to instill this fear factor to get us to trust the government on this, that they can protect us. Hmm. But they have no clue on how to protect us and they can't let that out of the bag. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, the, the rope, the, the, Brookings report has been used all through the 30 years that I've been around in this realm of study. And the Brookings report dates back to the mid sixties where NASA reached out to the Brookings Institute for a study to be done with that think tank there on how would the discovery of extraterrestrial life, even the most minute microbial life, affect humanity they wanted to know before they found it right if you know should they tell about it or should they just keep in secret you know well what the ufo community tries to say is the biggest effect would be on people of faith Hmm. yeah and it would affect their faith i think they realize that it's quite the opposite Mm mm-hmm And that's where real fear comes in Hmm. because they have difficulty controlling people of faith. Uh (laughs) Always have. (laughs) Always have. (laughs) You know, that's when they start getting rid of people of faith. Mm -hmm. You see many empires do that because they can't control it, but they can control the rest. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, uh, to kind of hop in, that makes a lot of sense. There's almost like uh, this, uh, I'll say the original kind of narrative of the media and 
through being the spokespeople for the government, like right after Roswell, they immediately was like, there's nothing to see here, nothing to see here. It was a weather balloon. It was nothing. And then to all of a sudden, there's kind of this idea of uh, by saying one thing, they want to open up the idea. It's whatever's useful for the government. So if they can just kind of throw something out, uh, maybe back then they were testing, you know, real aircraft that they wanted people to think were UFOs. So no one really looks, you know, at the fact that this may be a real capability that we're building, or it's just to kind of throw a monkey wrench and get people to look wherever they, the government or the powers that be, don't want people looking in. So then all of a sudden there's kind of like this secondary phase that, like you said, has been much more recent. And all of a sudden now they're really hardcore pushing. Uh, we well, we kind of lie. There are these real craft that like have landed here. We have reverse engineered their technology. This is how we, we took this to build this. And they're all kind of to do a complete 180. I, I'm assuming that they're, still trying to hide something and push people away and get people to look either by capitalizing on the innate distrust of the government. So if the government says one thing, there's going to be people that, you know, don't believe them and they start looking exactly with what they're denying, which may be something they also want. But what you just said about the, to take yet another stance and kind of shift it in a different way, it seems like this has kind of almost been like a long-standing plan. And the mm-hmm. secret is, well, if we have, you know, four options and we really, really, really want to keep everybody from looking at number four, we'll throw out one, two, and three to kind of just keep them looking anywhere but four. And in this mm-hmm. case, how immediately comes to my head is, the four is very simple. It's that there is a spiritual realm, which means that there are spiritual beings, which means there's stuff that we can't defend against, which means there must be some sort of power, which means that mm-hmm. the spiritual realm is not just this hocus pocus stuff that they like to make fun of Christians for believing in. You know, mm-hmm. it, it really is the deepest, deepest, deepest truth. And so they'll keep, you know, trying to just shift the cards around and, you know, the, the, the shell game or whatever to just mm-hmm. hold on to that prized, uh, make sure no one ever figures out that, yeah, they're aware that like God is real. <laughs> and there's With what you're saying, like it was been like the plan all along. And I, that's how I've always kind of seen it too with like, um, but more of like a peeling off the laser layers kind of thing throughout the years. Like you're going to start out with this lie Roswell and you're, you're going to prime the, the people and pull back the layers. Oh, it will act. It's actually this. And like how you were saying in the beginning, it's like, it's, you've seen it change. You've seen it morph. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in the last recent change was interdimensional. Like he, they're just trying, like Satan knows, so he's trying to get the, you know, everybody else on board yeah. as close as possible to what the truth is and covering up his lie. I mean, showing this lie. Sure. Let me, let me throw some other quotes out there from the secular side. It's looking at this 
You know, this is from Tom DeLong, mm. who's working with the government <laughs> and trying to get the right information put out there to where we can understand what it is. The exact term that is used by DeLong's government's contact is the others. Hmm. It's not the phenomenon. It's not aliens. The way it was explained to him is they are gods with a little G. Hmm. Wow. They are not E.T. because they were always here. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Hmm. They're literally telling him the truth. like Yeah. B- biblical truth. Biblical even, truth. Even using the same little words, G's. little yeah. G gods. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and then remember, I talked about the past researchers uh-huh. that people ignore. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the fascinating work of Dr. Jack Vallee. Yeah, exactly. Human beings are under the control of a strange force that bends them in absurd ways, forcing them to play a role in a bizarre game of deception. Hmm. <laughs> well, it, that's awesome quote. I it, thinking of the fear factor, you know, the control by fear. A lot of people forget. I I want to say it was like the night it might have been 1940, but um, there was a radio show H.G. Wells on War of the Worlds, and it was about an alien invasion, and it caused so much panic that people were actually thought it was real happening, and that the because they didn't have television, they had radio, and they literally mm. were taking up arms and hiding and preparing for this alien attack that was um, on the radio. And I wonder if that instance put it in the minds of some of our government officials to be like, okay, well, we just realized how we can control by media <laughs> and information uh, very powerfully. Sure. You know, I'll throw some more quotes at you here just so the <laughs> listener can understand. This is from, uh, from Brad Steiger. We are dealing with a multidimensional paraphysical phenomenon, which is largely indigenous to planet Earth. Another one from Terence McKenna. We are part of a symbiotic relationship with something which disguises itself as an extraterrestrial invasion so as not to alarm us. Hmm. Science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke. One theory which can no longer be taken very seriously is that UFOs are interstellar spaceships. Gordon Creighton from Flying Saucer Review magazine. There seems to be no evidence yet that any of these craft or beings originate from outer space. This is a great one from Lynn Cato. A large part of the available UFO literature is closely linked with mysticism and the metaphysical. It deals with subjects like mental telepathy, automatic writing, and invisible entities, as well as phenomena like poltergeist, ghost manifestation, and possession. Many of the UFO reports now being published in the popular press recount alleged incidents that are strikingly similar to demonic possession and psychic phenomena. That that ties back into a question that I, or or a point that that I was tracking with when you were saying the difference of the uh, civilizational advancement in terms of how the citizens of those more developed western nations westernized nations rather um both in the terms of like what you said of uh i kind of i kind of viewed it as uh you know the koreans almost saying we don't have to time to look in the sky we got to look down we got to look at what we're doing right now and when they the the 
you know, the picture of someone kicking back is, you know, you, you start to view and start looking up at the sky because there's more of that. But what you just read, the quote, it, it really ties in with the difference of uh, what you had talked about in less developed nations right now and with their spiritualism. And I think we talked about on the last episode the the case uh, somewhere down in Africa where they, they – the, the school children. Oh, Fatma. No. Wasn't that? No, no, that was. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Fatima was in. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like uh, Nigeria or Aerial, something. The area school event in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> and they had all described it, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but this is the crux of it, is tied in with the spiritualism, the these quote-unquote less developed nations in terms of technology uh, almost have, they're, they're more connected to the spiritual realm, spiritual truth, spiritual way of looking. They, they almost like don't have uh, a pair of glasses in front of them, kind of blocking it out, you know, using the term of like... Uh, Just westernized pro- thought. Pro- progress, yeah. right? Yeah. Progress. And where we demonize that kind of stuff here, like, oh, you believe in that kind of stuff, you know, you're poo-pooed, you're called a crazy person and all that. As long as you, you know, if it's outside of science narrative, the scientific narrative of whatever they're pushing of being this kind of biological being. Anyway, that's, do you think that that is a case of why there's quote-unquote less, uh, or not quote-unquote, but there's less reported ufo sightings because they just have a completely different frame of reference where they just understand it as oh we see something in the sky we have a spiritual way that our people have believed in these things or passed along stories of these kind of spiritual creatures and they always have this frame of reference for understanding do you think that might be a whole case of things of why they're not even having this kind of debate elsewhere outside of the western world Oh, I'm sure. When I first came to this, the truth of what I'm sharing now with uh, CE4, I shared it with a gentleman that ended up becoming my mentor in the beginning as a Christian, Dr. David Allen Lewis, author of UFO End Time Delusion back in the early 90s. And I've had a chance to, to meet him a couple times out in Springfield, Missouri. And he invited me out one weekend to stay at his house there because he had a gentleman coming in from Nigeria who was uh, head of the Assemblies of God Church in Nigeria. And he was coming to visit Dr. Lewis and doing some work with him. And he was actually in the process of getting his book written and published. And he had, Dr. Lewis had shared with him the work that I had come across and, and what I was doing. So he made it to where we met that same weekend out in Springfield because the gentleman had some questions for me for his book. He wanted to talk about the abduction experience in relation to the cultural experience that they have in Nigeria uh, with the indigenous people there. And he was amazed at how similar the experience is between the two. The difference is with the abduction experience in America, people are taken to a high-technology craft um, by beings of high technology. 
mm. where the same exact abduction experience that people go through in Nigeria, they're taken to a body of water like a lake, and they're taken under the water to a crystal city mm. and seeing these beings. But it's the same event, just with a different guise to fit that culture. Wow! So it's a it's a uh, sh it forms its kind of uh, shape based around what they're going to accept. Yes. <laughs> this it? is why this is why you see no two craft identified the same. This is why even though people report the same type of beings, the description is never the same. There's never two beings from two different incidents that are identical. Hmm. It's the experience is made to it's tailor fit for the person of the experience. It's whatever it takes to get them to accept it as reality. Yeah. So do you think, Joseph, that that we're seeing the uptick in like the major or just the, the uptick recently, but also the um it's more prevalent in Western culture. I'll just use that as a generic term for what every, the nations we've been talking about. Um, because of their movement away from God over the last, you know, 40, 50 years and, and towards science? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it gets a little deeper than that. Well, sure. Because... That movement, since it's gone in that direction, the phenomenon itself is also causing that. Hmm. Because my research has shown that anybody that gets involved in this phenomenon, the outcome is the same for everyone. It takes their eyes off of the one true God and trust in God's work. Mm-hmm. In other words, it seems to be that is the purpose of the phenomenon. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Almost like a garden with an, somebody that showed up in a garden <laughs> a long time ago. Now, the really scary part of this, which a lot of people don't like to hear, is... This seems to fit a prophecy that was given 2,000 years ago in God's Word. And if we understand prophecy in God's Word, the Bible, we know that there, have, there are about 11,000 scriptures alluding to prophecy. About 8,000 of them have been 100% fulfilled. So the odds are with record like that, not like your not like <laughs> your corner psychic, you know, but with 100% accuracy and prophecy and detailed, you know, um, prophetic things to come true, odds are the future ones are going to be fulfilled 100% also. Oh, so what we're looking at is one that has yet to be fulfilled. 
And that one that I'm speaking of seems to fit this phenomenon to a T. And that's the one out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it talks about the strong delusion and that it would be so powerful, almost incomprehensibly powerful, Uh that to get to the understanding of it or to uncover it would be almost impossible. And it would be so powerful that it would deceive the very elect, which in that reference, the elect being true walk-the-walk relationship with Jesus believers, if it were possible. As I look at that prophecy in relation to what we're seeing, it seems to line up in every aspect. If you look at who's perpetrating this phenomenon, it all points back to a spiritual entity with a purpose to deceive humanity and take their eyes away from the true God. Mm -hmm. And we know that to be the fallen realm. And we've been at war since the beginning of time with them. The other part of that is, is if you really look close at the phenomenon, you will see that these beings can really do us no harm. (laughs) But they can get you to harm yourself. Uh Mm -hmm. I got case after case after case where people that have had these experiences were left sitting on the edge of their bed with a gun in their hand, ready to just end their lives because it's so disturbing and there's no hope for it in their minds because secular researchers are telling us there is no hope for this experience. And my research has shown otherwise. Mm-hmm. At the same time, our government's building up a, an idea of fear from these beings, uh-huh. and they want us to trust them. But yet my research shows that there's no technology that's ever going to be to a level that they can stop them. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there is one name uh-huh. that can stop them, and that's all it takes. But that same name will bring down governments. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I think they know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. And uh, the, to anyone who may have not listened to, gone back to the, num- uh, the episode ones. 69, uh, but just to reiterate it, because it's so important uh, that in every one of your cases, you had said when someone said the name of Jesus, the abduction phenomenon immediately stopped. And on top of that, no other name of any other spiritual, uh, <laughs> I don't want to call them spiritual, give them any, ba- any other religious, uh, you know, Buddha, Muhammad, no one ever said, you know, in the name of Allah, please get away from me, you jinn, or anything like that. <laughs> it's only in the name of Jesus, and every time the name of Jesus always did work, correct? Correct. Yeah. Now, they will tell you that they're, People have used the name of Allah or other personages to stop the experience, but it's the total outcome of 
the life pattern that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. The entities will allow you to believe that something else will stop the experience, but the, the life pattern of the experience continues. Mm-hmm. It's only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ does the life pattern stop. And you re- you can recover from all of the issues that come along with the experience that are very similar to PTSD. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can get your life back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I had two kind of thoughts that have popped up. And uh, one of those to uh, go with that exact point that you had just made. I In kind of preparation for this, I happened to come across... Uh, a documentary <laughs> created by uh, the the guys over at Gaia TV, <laughs> which is they're totally yeah they're insane. The the craziest stuff about I was you know taken as a kid and they made me serve in you know on colonies <laughs> on Mars uh, in the military. Then they age regressed me back to the age of twelve and then brought me here. Or uh, you know I. The first a woman claimed that, you know, from the very first time that she entered womanhood, I'll just say it with that, that she was continuously impregnated with like babies and all this stuff. And she was talking that one in particular was really interesting because she said it was always a good experience when uh, <laughs> uh, being having that experience happen. Yeah, but right. one thing that uh, that they it that made me think of that was they talked about there is a that most abductees it is a lifetime phenomenon that if they said you know if you are abducted it's going to happen again it's going to continue to happen you gotta just have to make do with it on top of that they also talked about how it is an interlineary uh, a familiar thing so if your grant they had some woman and she had like her mother her grandmother and her great grandmother and her daughter. And they're like, we all experience this stuff. So they mm. tried to really make it sound so hopeless and they were trying to spin it into a positive thing, but that makes so much sense. And, and nowhere in that video, I watched a three hour long documentary. They never talked about Jesus. They never talked about anything like that. So that was one thing that I just was thinking of. That was very interesting to, you know, I, I kept thinking, watching it yeah you know you can stop it you know i i know that it's a really easy it's two syllables uh to be able to break the chains of that and in a totally kind of different tangent that i i was thinking of it it the phenomenon how you were talking about how it actually self-replicates in itself Mm -hmm. uh the delusion to a stronger degree is again goes back to i was thinking of the 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 differences of how satan presents something that is a twisting of what uh god is uh, god created so to use just a, a real cut and dry example i think everyone can at least understand is the difference between like pornography and like actual love you know like they're both 10 you know at the mm. at the beginning can maybe give you some of the same kind of feelings, but one will always never fulfill in that same kind of way. And it creates this desire to, oh, I need to keep building it, that addictive kind of cycle of needing more and more and more, ultimately never fulfilling in the same way. And 
the difference between something that God created is, yeah, you can want more of like a good thing, but like you can't, you you never get tired of love. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not in the same way of, uh, you need lust or something. I just thought it was just, again, something that, that Satan's been doing since the beginning is he always creates this counterfeit. And it seems with mm-hmm. every kind of self-destructive counterfeit thing, it, it is finely tuned to how humans, uh, how the brain seems to be wired to have this kind of reward pattern seeking, but uh, ultimately just leaves us dry and, you know, completely unfulfilled at the yeah. end. You, you know, you're onto an important part there, and you're right, what you're saying. But when people get to that, that point to where they were seduced with whatever it was that pulled them in, whether it be drugs or alcohol or pornography or gambling or anything like that, it's always they're always trying to get back that first experience mm-hmm. because it never it, you can't relive the first time. Right. And mm-hmm. it's always... Mm. It's always continually trying to bring back that first experience, which can never be replicated. And then when you can't get to that point, you start rationalizing in your own mind why you're in the position that you're there so that you don't have to come out of it. Mm -hmm. This is codependency. Mm -hmm. They create a codependency on them and the experience. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, and if you're familiar with codependency, it's, it's very similar examples as women that are codependent to husbands that beat them over and over and over. But they rationalize in their mind, at least they got somebody. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was seeing just in that same sense of um, people involved in the new age and thinking that they are actually um, uh, enlightened in that um, getting to that highest sense of um, what do they call it? Um, Nirvana. Enlightenment. Enlightenment. Yes. Um, That uh, it's like they can't like, um, so they, they, they're searching for that first experience because it's, it's amazing and beautiful. And then, um, it just, it's, it leaves them wanting and then, and then it, but they, they're seeking and seeking it, trying to keep at that first experience to where they're just like in this awful, awful codependent relationship where they are mm-hmm. getting like depressed and it's like a false peace and, um, but they're still clinging, going after that first experience. Sure. That's so And I can true. testify to that myself because I am an experiencer. That's mm-hmm. what drove me into the new age. Uh-huh. Part of the experience, and I didn't realize later that it was something that happened with most experiencers. It's just one that wasn't talked about. And I guess it really didn't come out till much later when I was first started to research. But experiencers talk about a, a mental download that they receive. Uh-huh. And even the these, these, the CIA guys coming out, retired ones that are experiencers, have actually talked about receiving that download in that first experience. <laughs> that is what drove me into the New Age. I had an experience that I never saw any entities. I have no recall of being taken anywhere. I just woke up in the middle of the night 
knowing that there was had been a presence in the room, I believe there still was when I woke up. And being at the time that I had, this was before being a Christian, by the way, that I was involved in paramilitary stuff and I had myself armed to the teeth in my bedroom, I was reaching for an armed weapon and I was glad I didn't punch holes in my sheetrock and have to repair it. <laughs> you know? But at that same moment while that's happening, I had such an electrifying sensation of adrenaline and rushed going through me like nothing, no drug that I had ever experienced in all the drugs that I had taken. Mm-hmm. It was just incredible feeling. And that was when I was able to take a breath and, and get my sense together. And I realized that my mind was just being crammed full of information. That's the seduction. That's wow. what I was on a quest for from that next morning on to try and relive. And that's that quest for enlightenment. I need more. I need more. I need more. Because it's not until I get all of it will I become an enlightened being. Yeah. But I had gotten a taste of it. But I'll tell you, it wears off because it's not real. But the one thing that doesn't wear off since I've become a believer in Jesus Christ is that love relationship with him. Mm-hmm. That never wears off. Amen. So you're right. It is a serious counterfeit. But that's what's... That's what the tease is. That's the carrot on the string, you know, that's out in front of these experiencers from the enemy. You know, is mm-hmm. yes, you can have this again. Yes, you can have this again, you know, yeah. but it's not the first. Yeah. I think um, one thing that I want, I would just remind our Christian listeners to is that Ephesians tells us that we battle not against flesh and blood mm-hmm. and that um, this is, this is a real spiritual battle and you have to, um, you have to defend yourself spiritually and protect yourself spiritually. And and secondly, I would say that there is a real opportunity for people who love the Lord to begin to listen to the false, um, I don't want to call it false teaching, but the false understanding of the, um, the way that this whole thing is working in our culture and begin to believe a deceptive lie and then the end result will be fear mm-hmm. and anxiety and stress and it's you know joseph you you mentioned ptsd i i have a phrase it's it's um spiritual post-traumatic stress disorder so it's p uh, sptsd and um uh, maybe that's what they're experiencing after these abductions um anyways but um just investing in your personal relationship with Christ and mm-hmm. reading the word of God and filling your spirit with the truth of God's word is always going to be the perfect antidote to keep you in line with what's happening and there are a lot of people that are they love the hype of this thing and they see it as an opportunity to get in front of a bunch of people and pontificate on what it is yeah well I- this kind of relates and um if there is anyone listening that is an abductee i'm not gonna (laughs) i'm about to dump on that kind of idea but uh, don't take this personally but the idea that seems to happen from a lot of uh abductees who are not christian who, who don't then give their lives over to god anything like that there is this sense that i get that they're 
that kind of wrapped upness in an identity. And there's also this, I don't want to, it's not hubris or anything like that, but there's the idea of being chosen, like of being special. Mm -hmm. Like there is something Mm -hmm. that's special about me. That's why I have to bring (laughs) this, you know, Jacques Vallée talked about it, you know, in Messengers of Deception and all his other works about there's this greater utopia that I have to bring and they chose me and these entities, you know, tell them we chose you because you're the only person that can, you know, tell these people these great ideas that are so much better than everything else and again that idea of being chosen and that feeling of uh specialness uh is a counterfeit of what it feels like to be like what you had said a relationship with god that never gets there's no bad aspect of that relationship um Mm -hmm. there's no exploitative nature of having a personal relationship with god and that specialness is even more magnified than I can, I can't comprehend. There, there is nothing. If you have a relationship with the most powerful creative being in a personal way, there's nothing better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did have one question though, uh, because, and you again have had so many interviews and uh, with abductees and read through all these reports for decades what is the and it, uh, I hate to put you on a spot by kind of phrasing it this way of uh, some percentage but um, of how many abductees quote unquote who do not turn their lives over to God end in you know sitting on the edge of a bed with a gun alcoholism uh, drug addiction I'm pretty sure that there's you're gonna say that the number of anyone who had a lifelong, really great life as a result of what they experienced is not very high. Is that correct? That don't become Christian. No, it's, it's not. And the ones that do get to that point, they're showing exact signs of what we call the Stockholm syndrome. Hmm. They've been through the horrific experiences in the beginning. And then at some point in the their experiences, a different entity comes in, hmm. the more spiritual ones that they say they talk about, the ones described as the Nordics. Right, right. And they tell them that they've been chosen, this was a purpose, you know, um, and this was something they had to go through to get to that point. And they ended up, these, these experiencers, now contactees, they're called, mm-hmm. because now they're dealing with communication from these beings. Hmm. And that's when they become to feel special. They feel chosen. Mm-hmm. You know, they're there to serve a purpose. They become the mm-hmm. ambassadors of the alien gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's the danger that we're seeing now is so many of them are coming out. Right. Um, it's just over and over and over. We have these people coming out with, with new messages from their, from their contact experience. And, What's interesting is none of the messages agree with each other, you know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, that's, that's a red flag that you have to look at, but, you know, we got so many different cults out there too, to share a different message, but Mm -hmm. they're never short of gathering membership. Uh (laughs) You know, you were mentioning, um, you mentioned Tom DeLonge, um, earlier 
And there's uh, there was something that I was watching on Netflix, and it was a basically a UFO like documentary. And the guy's name, I can't, it's escaping me, um, but he's basically developed a. Uh, he'll take pe- teams of people out into oh, the Stephen Greer. Stephen oh, okay. Greer, that's it. Thank you. Yes, it was on the tip of my tongue. I couldn't <laughs> remember his name. And he's basically incorporating new age practices yeah. to make contact with the, you know, the space aliens, right? The what what we now have, you know, what we here are declaring as these spiritual entities. And demons, demons, yeah, right. Demons. Uh, um, and so, yeah, it's the it's the CE five experience. Yes. So, mm-hmm. speak to that for a minute, if you don't mind, because I know a lot of people that are caught up with his teachings, and they are not discerning. And as soon as I saw his like new age practice of we got to get into a seance, we have to meditate, yeah. we have to meditate, and do breathing exercises. Um, as soon as he started going into that, I was like, oh my goodness. How much more of a red flag do you need? Sure. And then he's developed an app you can put on your phone that you, you turn on and you use it during your meditation times, which give these tonal sounds that, you know, I can tell you that's, that stuff works. It'll bring you into a state you don't, yeah. you know, that oh, you can't get to by yourself. The Moody Institute was dealing with those and Monroe Institute was dealing with those for you know, years and years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's just taking advantage of something that's already out there and using it to get people into a state, a meditative state that's hard to, you know, achieve. And it opens you up to, you know, these types of experiences. Yeah. These people, and this, this is where this is all headed to. This whole idea of the transition I told you about of, of ufology, getting to the point of interdimensional beings, mm-hmm. to where they're already seeing that, well, as Christians, we're seeing that they've already gotten to the point to where they're acceptable of, you know, they're almost acceptable. They're this <laughs> close to being, saying that, yeah, we agree with you that these are spiritual beings. But then you've got the ones that have actually made that connection and they're all for accepting the spiritual experience that he's offering mm. contact with these entities, these beings, because the one thing that they have with this type of experience, the CE five experience that they can do that they, they don't have to do with Christianity. The one thing that's the difference is accountability. Mm-hmm. So what we're really seeing here with this, CE5 experience is no different than what arrived in this country in the 1800s from um, Madame Blavatsky with spiritism. This is spiritism. You know, I joke with them all the time on chat rooms (laughs) when I I, I got to mess with them. I'm just that way. You know, they'll talk about this, their experiences and, and you know, they complain about the cost of the app and blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, you know, you can go to Walmart and just get a Ouija board. It's a lot cheaper. It does the same thing, (laughs) you know, and then they think they block me, you know, they know, they really do know. They just want to experience the supernatural. Yeah. It's seductive. They mm-hmm. want to experience closeness to God, but they don't want to be accountable mm-hmm. in their life doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's something I've said for years. They want their spirituality without accountability. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a. That and he's is, given yeah. it to them. 
Now, I, I will give you something that I just had to chuckle about when I saw an event that he held, and you have to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go to these events with him. Yeah. Where they will get people together in, in a group and meditate somewhere and bring in the craft, you know, or UFOs, let's say that. So one of them was in Florida on the coast. And they got to show pictures of what they saw. And I just said, ah, amazing. Because I'm from Florida. I'm a MUFON investigator. <laughs> I've investigated those same lights. <laughs> and I know what they are. And they still go on. People still see them. But yet he used this, something he had to have known about, mm -hmm. to fool these people. Mm -hmm. the, the deceiver has deceived to bring another level of deception. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. He's got his own apostles of, de of deceiving. What exactly. You know, he's an experiencer himself. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's not discerning of what he's dealing with. Right. That's yeah. very clear. It, what uh, these lights that you mentioned in Florida? What are they? Just out of curiosity, there are flares off the coast when the Air Force is using um, simulated bombing runs. <laughs> so all you have to do is, uh, yeah, find out when uh, when's the when something uh, in or um, uh, do they met? Do they broadcast? Do they like uh, public publish publish their? Uh, that they're yeah. going to be doing war games or whatever? I... Uh, no, but once you find out it seems to be a semi-regular thing over there, you can take a guess of, you know, and right. odds are you'll see something. I, let me let me give you, for instance, on this, so, so your listeners understand how huh. investigations work. I had a guy on, uh, this was years ago, before I went to Korea, I had a guy call me about a UFO sighting he was having, Repeated sighting. Okay, now that's a red flag in itself. Mm. Uh, they just don't repeat on, on a regular timing schedule. Okay, <laughs> so that one interested <laughs> me, and I'm talking to him on the phone, and you know he says, "Yeah, it's been happening." You know, the past few days, I, I saw it first a few days ago, and then I went out again, saw it again, and it's continuing. I said, "So, tell me, the odds are this is going to happen again tonight, right?" And he says, well, good possibility since it's happened every night in the past few nights. And I said, do you mind if I come down and check this out with you there at your house? He says, no, come on down. So I came down. His house was located in an area called Vieira, uh, just south of me. Uh -huh. And he was on the very west edge of the property. His back fence, uh, he had a fence around the yard, and backyard was nice. And on the other side of his fence was what is called Dutter Ranch. Dutter Ranch is thousands of miles of square miles of farmland and pasture land for cattle. And it stretches for, I don't know, 40, 50 miles west of his fence line, you know, probably even farther. And he showed me what he was seeing. He first described it. He said he would see to the west, just over the tree line, far as he could see. He knew it was way over there. And he said, I'd see one light pop up and then a second light next to it, a third light next to it, fourth light next to it, fifth light. And they'd stay there and they would hover in the air. 
And then one by one, the way they came up, they would blink out. And I'm going, okay. So I said, I'm coming down, and we'll take a look at this together. It's going to happen again. Well, he said he had a video that he made, and using VHS camera, the big boxy ones they had at the time. He plugs the VHS tape in there, because I was there early before it got dark, when the time that it would happen, about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And uh, I said, well, let's look at your video. And he puts it in, and of course the camera's trying to auto-zoom in and out, in and out, you know, on the object. And uh, it was kind of irritating that cameras do that. And, you know, it just didn't have a, a super good focus on it for distance anyway. But it zoomed in and held its spot just long enough on one scene that I saw that I knew what we were dealing with. It just confirmed it on the on the video. I just wanted to see it for myself and hang around. Okay. So I stayed there with him. We went out back, and it was dark now. And uh, he said, could be any time. And, and sure enough, there comes the first light, then the second light, then the third light. Yeah, and there were five lights. And then they just stayed there, and it looked like they were just hovering in the sky. And then they went out one by one by one. Well, I already knew what this was. I just stayed with him and, you know, listened to him talk. And we happened to stay out there long enough for this next thing to happen that he hadn't stayed out there long enough before. <laughs> While we were standing there, out of the southeast from us come two Air Force fighter jets. And they banked over top of where we were and went straight due west of where the lights had been. Is that a landing So strip? I went on the map and looked, and sure enough, there's a naval bombing range that they're using over on the west side of central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the idea that they looked like they were hovering, well, if you know... Um, mathematics you know that anything from a long distance appears to be hovering but actually they are falling what i saw on the video was you know as they zoom in the, the dot gets blurry but i was able to see as he was focused on it long enough that there was a smoke trail that was rising from the huh. fuzzy dot <laughs> so these were parachute flares that were hanging up in there you know and slowly coming down but from a distance they didn't look like they were coming down at all so these are the same things that i had also interviewed people with seeing over the over the water over the you know off the coast because they can do the same thing out there mm -hmm. you know they just launch the flares out in open space so where the jets can fly and not get interference you know mm -hmm. but people sitting on the beach at night with a beach house can look out there going Wow, look at those UFOs. Right, right. You know? <laughs> uh, Man. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I think if anyone missed over the the biggest, I think, red flag without even going into anything is the fact that Stephen Greer <laughs> charges a lot of money yeah, <laughs> for, yeah. for something. That's yeah. usually a really good sign. And it seems like goodness it seemed i'll use this the the gaia documentary as an example i started googling the name of like all the experts that they brought on and every single one of them was shilling some kind of program some mm. book that was like 60 dollars for like a pamphlet on it and crazy <laughs> crazy everyone they they're all you know trying to profit off something 
much in the same way of, uh, you know, happening to know, you know, like a magic trick and uh, sure. just mm-hmm. being one step uh, ahead of the people that don't know anything. So yeah. it's, uh, mm. yep. yeah, it's very sad, mm-hmm. but man, yeah. well, Joseph, what, where uh, can people find you? And also we've given away many copies of your book. Yes. Um, I don't know if you remember last time, cause you mailed us a bunch. Yeah. And, um, I, I give away, <laughs> I give them away most of the time. <laughs> but, um, but where can people find you and connect uh, and also get a hold of your resources? Well, the, the book piercing the cosmic veil, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, which is my culmination of 25 years of mm-hmm. well, 30 years of UFO research and abduction research and all the findings that we came across are, is available on Amazon in paperback and in Kindle. And, you know, even if you know the truth, it's a good tool to, to use mm-hmm. for witnessing to those that don't, mm-hmm. you know, whether you give it to them or whether you use it to help them go through it. You know, most of the time I'll give it away to help somebody, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it's worth it to me to be able to bring somebody out of the bondage and the torment from these experiences, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to be able to say, you know, yeah. The, and, and to hear their testimonies afterwards, you know, that it, it actually works. That's another thing. Uh, we talked about it in the other show, but being able to help these people is a repeatable event. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, no. You there, buddy? Oh, no. <laughs> he just froze on us, guys. <laughs> I think the storm came. The storm came right at the most important part, right? When... <laughs> oh, there oh, he is. is. Can, yeah. you, can you hear us? Yeah, I hear you good. Great. Oh. You're, you're frozen on picture, but we got you on audio, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, the the uh, the thing is, this is a repeatable event, the only repeatable event in ufology. Because what I came across when I first started was just posting these testimonials of people that could stop this experience in the name and authority of Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. But it was not for a while after we had started posting them, that I finally got this one email that said, can you help me? Hmm. And I thought, oh, that was not to be expected. (laughs) You know, for some reason, I didn't think that was going to happen, but it did. And I had to relook at what all my work was about. Hmm. My work was going from being a documentation research group to an actual ministry because Hmm. What I told them was, I said, I think with everything we know from these testimonies and how they were able to stop the experience, that it should work for you too. And as we took these people through what we had learned, they too were able to stop the experience, and then they too were able to share a testimony. Mm. So not only can the experience be stopped, the testimonials say, but we can also help you stop your experience. Mm. Yeah. That's the only repeatable event in ufology. Mm -hmm. Nobody's able to call down two craft, you know, right. One (laughs) after the other. Well, maybe David Greer can, but, or Stephen (laughs) Greer can, but you know, he's questionable. Well, for, for $600, (laughs) he can do it. Yeah. 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 I don't charge anything. You know, I've never (laughs) have, 
it's, you know, I, I got this information freely and I never felt that I should have to charge somebody else for what I was given freely, mm. you know? And Amen. I did just want to say that, uh, it is so great. Just the fact that, uh, you do have a book is very helpful to, uh, Turner, you were terrible with like the turnaround. Cause here I, w- I was like, yeah, you should never trust anyone that has a book. And you're like, aren't you selling a book? Joe? <laughs> so I apologize for that. Uh, but it has been, uh, I've used the podcast episodes previously for, I think there was like a year or two, quite a, a bit in between the first two episodes mm-hmm. that I sent just the one that was mostly the testimony. And we were just talking about the, a lot about the experience itself to tons of people that explained it because I couldn't find a good resource other than you. So I've the same thing with books, been able to send them to people that, you know, wanted to read something and it's such a valuable resource and uh, a valuable service that you're doing. uh, I guess I'll say it uh, for the kingdom. If you, if you don't want to say that, but that's what you're doing is, is you're, offering people it's a great middle ground in between you know people who may be uh just in that framework that there's there's i've, I've really never read anything like it and uh the work you do is so important yeah. so uh thank yeah, you yeah please anyone uh even if you don't care about like you said the uh, making a book sale which yeah uh, is we you people should buy b- books buy so they can books. hand out because yep. This isn't going away. Right. <laughs> give know. them, give them to your pastor. Yeah. Let them read it. As well. Let them read it so that they can, uh, you know, uh, be prepared because this is going to be on the minds of the people in the church, and unfortunately, far too few mm-hmm. are actually addressing this topic. And when you have the federal government basically giving disclosure, um, and even, no matter how the you know the public receive it. Um, it's in the it's in the forefront of people people's minds. Yeah, and you know I put that. it this I put it this way. Twenty five years ago, you had to go looking for this phenomenon, <laughs> but today, it's looking for you. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you were talking about you know the Thessalonians verse, um, the the delusion, and it just. I've, I've done a little bit of, you know, Bible prophecy ministry chatting on Instagram and it's been like three ish years now that I've just been, um, really deep into this. And I just, even in these last few years, I just, it it just keeps getting deeper and deeper, like this delusion and the messages I get and like how I'm navigating these. It's really, it's really helpful to, um, hear from you. And an actual person like that's researched this for more than I have, 30 years, you said. And um, But like you said, Turner, that there's hardly any pastors talking about this. And I'm seeing such a huge sway of toss, people tossed by the waves because they're clinging to any voice that will talk about this. Yeah. And using that excuse, oh, the church doesn't talk about this. We got to talk about this. And they just kind of they go way off base. And so it's really, it, mm-hmm. I'm just really fortunate to be able to hear from you and some really grounded, real research. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah. Back back to uh, where you can find me. Uh, the website is uh, www.ce4research.com. And then I'm not shy about putting my email out there because this is what I do is talk <laughs> to people. Uh, and I'll give you the email. My email is ce4, the num- ce, the number four, president at yahoo.com. If you're an experiencer and you're looking for help, contact me. I'll talk to you. I'll work with you. If you're just somebody who has a testimony, please share it with me because that's what my ministry is, is sharing these testimonies as a volume so we can show the secular lost realm the evidence for what this really is. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I put the question out there all the time is how many testimonies is it going to take right. for you to understand this viewpoint? Uh-huh. Because they're, they're not stopping. I get them every week continuously. It does not stop. Mm. You know, I tell people I've worked with over 600 abductees. That's just the last time I was counting. I can't count anymore. It's not important. <laughs> you know, they just keep coming in. And back to the church, you know, the only way we're going to defeat this phenomenon is with an army against the mm. demonic army. Mm-hmm. And that church is to be that army. Amen. But I think I think they're afraid because they're unknowledged and uneducated about what they're dealing with. Uh-huh. Mm. Churchgoers know what alcoholism is. They know what drug use is. They know what pornography is. They know what gambling is. They know how to deal with that. But this is a new one that's been put on humanity that they don't understand. Uh-huh. But we're mm-hmm. here to teach them that. Because I'm telling you, mm-hmm. I don't think we're I, I don't think there's any other point in history's humanity as now that we're so close to speaking the same language as the lost in what the spiritual realm is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're just a vocabulary word away from winning them over to understanding the workings of God Himself. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah. And I think But you know the sad part is when I, I I look at that and I look at the potential, but then I have to go back to that prophecy. Mm-hmm. God will send a strong delusion. This is not about the enemy. This mm-hmm. is about God sending this lie. Mm-hmm. And the purpose that he sends the lie to test those to see where their focus and faith is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This outcome is much bigger than we can imagine. It's not about a world invasion and annihilation of humanity. It's about an eternal separation with God and damnation Uh by him. That's the outcome of being involved in this phenomenon. Uh Amen. (laughs) I don't even know what to say (laughs) after that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> yeah. That's why people don't want to hear that. It's right. bigger mm-hmm. than you can imagine. Yeah, you think yeah. aliens are scary? Just wait till you see what God's going to do if you don't get back mm-hmm. with him. Man. Right? Man. Yeah, that is a tremendous warning. Yes, yeah. I love that, man. Mm-hmm. Well, Joseph, we're gonna probably wrap it up here. Unless any, anybody have anything else, you guys? Yeah. No. Okay, but I want you to stay on um, after we hang up here because sure. I, I do want to ask you one 
about one thing off Ooh. off the line offline. Ooh, it's... <laughs> so too bad for everyone listening to this. You're not going to know what it is. <laughs> but uh, we do appreciate you so much, yes. and thank you so much. We've said it before. You always have an open door. Um, if you're if you have anything that you want to share at any point, uh, anything new that you write or anything like that, please reach out. You're you know open door again. As long as this podcast is going, you're our friend. We're here. You know. Um, and we'd love yeah, to thank be. you for that yeah and we do appreciate everything you do um man i love the fact that there's a voice of truth in a world of confusion and it's refreshing it's super refreshing <laughs> and it's also encouraging to just to to be a part of being able to bring that forth to uh to our culture uh what an honor that is you know yeah mm-hmm. so, you know I, I thank you for all of that but i so much of the time i feel like paul Mm-hmm. Who am I to say these things? <laughs> you know, I'm not worthy to be doing this. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, we none of us are, man. None of us. <laughs> yeah. And it's for mm-hmm. God's glory anyways. So Exactly. But um but man. Well, we appreciate you and we will, you know, Next time, uh, I mean, I, they're gonna. These occurrences are gonna happen. We're gonna have more and more uh, pinata uh, aliens <laughs> showing up. <laughs> What's that? Is it, Is cake? it cake? Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, we will definitely have you on again, and uh, we appreciate you, Joseph. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. You got it. No problem. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. See on All out war. Bye. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. If you had a blast, then we'd love to have you back for another episode. So please subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Out War Podcast or on Twitter at AOWCast. These episodes are also available on YouTube unless they contain a little too much truth. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.